Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Naturopathic Times podcast. If you are new to our show, this is an interview podcast that bridges the gap between naturopathic philosophy and common day practice. I am your host, Katerina Meister. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Yacopedia. And as a final reminder, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share with someone you know. On to the show. For those of you who are just joining us, this is our second part of our interview with Dr. Tina Moore, who is a very special guest and regenerative medicine expert, phenomenal recognized leader in naturopathic medicine, chiropractor, author, speaker, teacher, researcher, podcast host, and business mentor. Continue to listen to our interview as our part two, and on to the show. So can we dig a little bit into the science of COVID and the obesity epidemic? What is happening here? There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. Okay, so the obesity thing. Gosh, there's so much here. Um, Basically, I mean, in a nutshell, adipocytes or fat cells are inflammatory, right? They're generally pro-inflammatory. And I I know, I I want the health at every size movement to be true. Um, It's a hypothesis. I want it to be true, but I just have run a lot. I've had a high volume practice, you guys. Like I have seen a lot of patients. And when I talk to my friends who graduated at the same time as me, I have seen a lot of patients and I was always cash and I was always running the same panels on everyone. I was never insurance based. So it was never a matter of what insurance would cover. I always ran the same panels on everyone. I have yet to see an obese person without blood sugar, dysregulation, metabolic, you know, dysregulation and, uh, lacking inflammation. They, they all have some level of inflammation. And so it's like your immune system and your metabolism are two sides of the same coin. Mike Mutzel said that on one of my podcasts and it really stuck. It's like, this is like two sides of the same coin. And so when we talk about metabolic flexibility, we talk about obesity, it all goes together. The bottom line is if you have excess adipocytes on your body, more than likely they're kind of a little inflammatory factory, you know? And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, and adipocytes have more ACE2 receptors than other tissues. Uh, I mean, maybe the lungs and some of the other tissues that we're seeing hit hardest, but ACE2 receptors are where the virus binds and ACE2 receptors are a kind of a protective mechanism. The body upregulates them as a protective mechanism when inflammation is in the area. And so imagine inflamed fat cells and they already have a lot of ACE2 receptors and now they've got a lot that person's just going to be way more susceptible. And then I started digging into the literature around the flu, the H1N1 flu. They've known this since like, oh gosh, I mean, I saw some stuff as back as too far as back as 2009, but 2013, I saw more stuff, more studies from that time period. And basically like people who were obese, and this was from different parts of the world, people who were obese had higher viral counts, which makes sense after what I just described. They had higher viral counts the they shed virus for like 42% longer and they shed more virus wow so they're the super spreaders maybe maybe. or no similar I don't know I mean maybe so they not only have higher viral counts they shed virus way more virus and they shed it for longer and then here get this one in mice at least in mice when they you know how when a virus goes through an, an immune system it shifts and changes because it uses our own you know, cellular machinery to make it, right? So it's going to become a different type of virus. Is it kinder and gentler? We don't know. Usually the flu gets kinder and gentler. Coronaviruses don't seem to change too much. So I don't know if this one's going to get kinder and gentler like I once hoped in the beginning of all this. Um, But when you took the flu virus and you put it through an obese mouse, what came out was actually a more virulent strain to lean mice. Wow. 
Yeah. Mm. So, so we've got that piece, which wow. is like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not pointing any fingers either. Like this is just like wow. my oh shit moment. And I was like, uh, and then on top of it, vaccines don't work in this population so well. They don't work in the elderly so well, and they don't work in the immunocompromised or sickly so well, which is the group, the only group that's actually in danger from this curve. Well, and they're also the only group that get, they get recommended to get those vaccines every single year, especially. Yeah, but that's like, the only, that's like the only group that we're concerned about with the coronavirus. The rest of us have a 99.97 or higher percent chance of making it, right? And so that's the group that we're concerned about, and yet that's and then if you consider that only 12% of the US population is metabolically sound mm. 88% of them are not like we're in a pickle and so mm. i see this just being the slow burn for a long Jeez. time because how else are we going to get out of it our population is so sick and we're generally such an obese country that like how are we going to get out of this and then on the other side of it as you know, um, adipose tissue is like a little cytokine factory. So if they do get hit, they often have a much more robust response and uh, bad outcomes because for so many reasons, I mean, we could break down the biochemistry of it all and the physiology of it all, but like, it just sucks to be obese and be sick anyway. Like it mm -hmm. sucks, to be, you know, there's, they have a higher yeah. rate of death for pretty much everything like anesthesia, trauma, post-trauma recovery. Shoot, I can't even inject people who are obese because they have such a much higher rate of infection just from a needle prick. So I don't even take, I wouldn't even take obese patients usually to treat. I was very cautious if I did. And diabetics have a much higher rate of infection and they don't, that too, that both of those usually go hand in hand and they don't heal well. They, they just generally in, in the regenerative aspect of things, they don't heal well. Now, here's the other thing I found. Your T cells, so we were um, hoping for an antibody response to this virus and that that antibody response would carry us for some amount of time. Turns out that's not really, just like all coronaviruses, that doesn't really happen so well. So maybe it's a couple months, maybe it's a couple years. It, I think it depends on the strain, the person, you know, lots of factors. But so we were banking on this T memory cell response, like, okay, well, at least we're seeing this now. That's great. Guess what? In the mm -hmm. obese patient, guess where a lot of your T cells live? In your fat cells. And if that fat cell is inflamed, what comes out of it is like little nightmarish T cells. They're not mm. the kind of gentle, like they don't work the way they're supposed to. The T killer cells are really gnarly and it's all kind of screwed up. And the T memory cells are like, pretty much shut down and there it's from what I saw in the studies, at least in mice and they didn't follow them out very long. So we have no idea, but this was irreversibly shut down. Mm. We can't really bank on a T memory cell response. That's going to carry us through and get us over this and get our country out of this in any significant amount of time. The virus is not going anywhere. It is now endemic. And then on top of it, the obese person, their mitochondria is significantly, significantly, uh, deranged if you will or busted and it's irreversible and their stem cells are quiescent meaning off not not senescent which is sort of like in a hibernation state quiescent i've known this for a long time quiescent cells that were irreversible even after weight loss they did not turn back on so Wow. That is what I've been trying to share mm. out with people and people are so mad about it and uh, rightfully so, but I'm like, dude, don't shoot the messenger. This is just what I found. And it really makes me think we're going to be in this for years and years and years because of it. And no one wants, no one's talking about it. 
So I don't know. Do you think that losing the weight would change or do you think that like even at that point? I I really have no idea because if this stuff is irreversible, how long is that? What does that mean? How long does that mean? In these mice, it was irreversible, but again, they didn't follow them out too long. Um, And if you think about, everyone says, well, what about intermittent fasting and stem cell procedures and all this stuff for regeneration? You have to regenerate out of what you have. You don't like pop up new ones from someone else, right? Like you only can regenerate out of what you have already. So if what you have is, you know, (laughs) busted. Not good. (laughs) In the tank. Personally, I will tell you personally, as someone who was very sick with a lot of autoimmune complications, who took a lot of Cipro, I've done a lot of bad things to my mitochondria. I smoked like a chimney for 10 years. I ate junk food. Like I was not a healthy person. As someone who really jacked up her mitochondria, it's been rough trying to get them back. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's no good way to test for that. But I just know, I know when my mitochondria now are starting to, cause I felt, I felt health and vitality for the first time in so many decades in recent years that I know what that feels like. And it's, it's hard to make a comeback. And so I don't want to leave people feeling hopeless by any means. And of course, the minute you start to lose weight, you start to decrease that inflammatory load and you probably do decrease your risk of dying of this virus, but it's, it's just, it has shed light on it to, for me at like how devastating going into an obese state can be on a, on a mammal. Mm-hmm. And there's also these people that don't look obese on the outside. I've heard you talk about thin outside, fat inside. Um, and these people have more fat than muscle, but look very lean. Yes. Um, and you were saying that they have worse outcomes than these people that are visibly obese, which is so alarming when I heard that. Yeah. Their risk of mortality is actually increased over the obese obese. So if you're metabolically unsound and you're thin, your chances of dying of everything is higher than if you are obese and metabolically unsound. Mm. So that's why when people say, oh, well, that person died and they were healthy. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) What does that mean? Show me their labs because I, I don't know. I've been that person. It's called skinny fat or tofi thin on the outside, fat on the inside, like you said. And that's a really crummy place to be too. That was me. I was really, really, really underweight and I got hit with cytomegalovirus when I was 19. It almost killed me. It was horrible. And it took me a good 10 years to crawl out of that hole. And I didn't crawl out of it very well. And then I just sort of like existed. I had a baby in there and I kind of just existed. And then I got hit with the flu in 2004, 2005. And that messed me up for another good long haul. And again, I was severely underweight, like both times I was severely underweight and deconditioned, no muscle on me at all. So somewhere when I came out of that flu one, my only goal, when I hit 40, I was like, I have to put on as much muscle onto my body as humanly possible mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't want to go into middle age like that. Mm-hmm. Like that is not a fun picture for me. And the women in my family that went into middle age, it was like a nightmare. So I was like, no. Um, so I just said, <laughs> my main goal is to like have muscle. And I'll tell you something so funny. I was 
it's taken me years. I, I'm just naturally kind of a waster. I'm naturally like my body wants to waste. I'm not a big gainer. And in February, I had a terrible pneumonia and I wasted away. I lost so much weight. And everyone's like, you look great. And I was like, I feel horrible. And I was so weak. My ability to do my kettlebell workouts with my coach was pretty compromised. And she had to build me back up again. Like we've been working together so many years. She just keeps building me back up. And um, yesterday I did kettlebell snatches with a 16 kilo kettlebell, which is like 32 pounds. That's a lot of weight. And that's something I never, ever thought I would do in a million years. And here I was, I'm almost 47 and I'm snatching for like many reps. And she said, man, you're strong. What's been going on? And I'm like, no joke. My fiance has been going to bed at like eight o'clock every night because he gets up at five to go to work. And so I've been sleeping from like eight till five every day and it's like a superpower. (laughs) Yeah, it truly does. When you get enough sleep, you can think clearly. You can just go throughout your whole day with like the most optimal um, physically state you could ever be in really physically strong. And it's your physical strength is a real gauge to where you're at vitality wise. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's something really underappreciated in our profession. We talk about all these other things, but it's like having physical strength is kind of, you know, where your central nervous system is and where your physical strength is kind of tells you how you're going to handle something. If it comes your way, Mm -hmm. you've also talked to about, um, actually with Mike Mitzel about, you know, at the afterburn effect and like what kind of workout is like the best for your lifestyle. And I always grew up like running and I never really lifted weights up until like until college, I started doing that. And when you said like, I can't do cardio because that's going to deplete my adrenals and, you know, lifting weights 25 minutes a day would do way more for me than it would if I were to go run for, you know, 25 or up to an hour times worth. And that makes more sense to me too, because I feel like when you're lifting weights and um, it is a short period of time, but you you can see the physical dis, uh, the the physical changes instantly, almost uh, like the next day you you feel stronger, you're yeah. like thicker in your skin, and when you go on a run, you're like depleted for the whole day. You're mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm so tired now. Like all my energy just yeah. like. Yeah. left me on well, that very run too. I posted a few times on Instagram. I mentioned, you know, avoiding heavy oxidative exercise. And a lot of people have been messaging me, asking me, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And to be honest with you, I don't want to open that can of worms on Instagram because I'm just so done being attacked. Like, I don't talk about, I don't talk about <laughs> well, sugar. Yeah. I don't talk about diets like special people are crazy around their beliefs around they get passionate very passionate to the point of being zany around certain things and i think that this is a topic that really triggers a lot of people when you and yes sure strength training can be oxidative but when you stoke that fire too hard there's grind moves so like lifting heavy is a grind and then there's metabolic moves and when you do too much metabolic Mm. exercise i.e boot camps those snatches i did yesterday were very metabolic where you're sweating running anything that's cardio the peloton Mm -hmm. any of that stuff that's very metabolic you might see some and I, this has happened to me so many times when I up my metabolic exercise, I shed a layer of fat. I think, oh my gosh, this is it. It's not sustainable for me for, especially with anyone who's got compromised mitochondria and some adrenal, which is both right? adrenal fatigue. 
I was at a conference once, just off topic, I'll come back yeah. to that, with Dr. Schallenberger, who's like the ozone guy. And it was years before anyone was talking about mitochondria. And I was a mitochondria geek because I learned in high school that they were bacterium. And I was like, this is amazing. And I wrote a paper about it in undergrad. So like I was on the tip early, but I remember no one had mentioned mitochondria to me since like, you know, med school 101, like where you learn what they are. And he was in a room full of people. And this was way back in the like early, I think 2000, oh gosh, I want to say 2010. And he said, how do you know if it's adrenal fatigue? And we were like, I mean, I know I wanted to list symptoms. And he said, because they're in your office. And I was <laughs> like, ah, and he said, how do you know if they have, if they have mitochondrial, uh, fatigue. And I said, he's like, cause they have adrenal fatigue. And I was like, Oh, so there's a little pearl for you ladies <laughs> moving forward. Oh, I like that. That makes sense though, because it's like the powerhouse of your cell. It's what's yeah. driving the energy. And if you don't have that, then you're, yeah, that makes sense. So if you are highly oxidated, if you're in a highly oxidative stress a state, you're kind of rusting your cells prematurely. And that's okay if you stoke it. To be in that state chronically, we know that runners and cyclists chronically get pneumonia. It's a thing. It's I've seen it time and time again with my patients. I have seen people who are chronic runners or and or chronic cyclists, and they their labs look like crap most of the time, especially if they're middle age. They look like they have diabetes. So I think they're kind of dealing with that like TOFI thing, Stephanie, that you were mentioning, because they're not building a lot of muscle. They're just running on an oxidative system in their body. And then on top of it, um, right now is not a good time to be in an oxidative state. Like we want to decrease our oxidative load as much as we can going into winter and into upper respiratory viral syndrome. So season. So, you know, keeping that oxidative exercise sort of as like a icing on the cake here and there, you know, just to kind of stoke, it's nice to stoke those mitochondria, stoke that cortisol, stoke it. Like yesterday, if I did that every day, I would crash and burn. I felt really good after I feel really good today, but that's something that's got to be programmed in intelligently, not like a daily occurrence, right? You kind of got to mix it up. And then I also need to have those days where I don't lift anything heavy and I don't do anything oxidative. I just have some yoga or Pilates mm -hmm. or something nourishing. And I think it's understanding how to mix that up in a way that works for each individual's body. Other people with incredible mitochondria mm -hmm. can be more oxidative probably, and they probably can handle yeah. it. So I was going to say, uh, if you're already in a state of like panic and anxiety, you don't want to do these activities that are just hitting your sympathetic nervous system all the time, the high cardio, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it just drives that whole line. It's just about balancing things. I had someone message me. I mean, you guys will see this in practice. You'll get this classic. And your audience will probably hear this and go, oh, yeah. You get your typical middle-aged woman like myself. And we start to get belly fat. Like, it's just the curse of middle age. Like, if I'm not super careful, I literally overnight will have extra belly fat. And I'm like, where did that come from? Um, <laughs> well, women who, and I still have a waist, though. Like, that's all I fight for every day. I'm like, just got to keep my waist, right? And you've probably heard women say that as they got older. They're like, I just need to keep my waist. I got to keep my figure. Um, it's not about like staying thin. It's about keeping mm. those proportions, those ratios intact, right? I don't care if there's a bunch of adipose, not a bunch, but I don't care if there's a layer of adipose as I get older. I'm not trying to be a skinny mini like I used to be, but I would still like to have my waist and my hip to waist ratio be sound, or I should say waist to hip. We want mm. that around like 0.7 to 0.8 always for, for optimal health. Um, 
but these women will just like drive, 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 drive. They're doing like orange theory, orange theory, boot camp, boot camp, kettlebell swings, kettlebell swings, running, running. And then they come to me or they message me or they come into my clinic and they're like, I can't lose weight. I'm like, you have to do less. <laughs> you have to significantly yeah. wind down what you're doing. It should feel nourishing to you. It should feel like you're stoking a fire. You might feel fatigue after and you want to go lay down for a little bit after, but you should feel really good the next day. You know, we or not be laid out all day. Like you said, you know, there's times after workout, I'm like, I got to sit down for a minute and just like eat and hike. Yeah. But yeah, we want to mm. stoke that fire. We don't want to burn it out. And they think more is better and more is definitely not better. It's in the recovery Truly, I have so come to appreciate that it's in stoke the fire, hit it hard, whatever, hit the CNS hard, do whatever you do. But then if you don't recover like a champ, like that's yeah. the real workout is the yeah. core conscious recovery. There's just no chance of getting out of that one. And I'm at the age where like my joints will tell me immediately, my mood will tell me immediately, my libido will, t- I mean, to the point where like vaginas dry wow. up if you are overtraining. I'm not kidding. This is like so many of my middle-aged girlfriends will tell me, they're like, I just, my vagina doesn't work the way oh. it used to. I'm like, you're overtraining. <laughs> you have to, yeah. you have to make space for refeeding, resleeping, chilling out. Uh, uh, somebody on one of my coaching programs the other day said, I can't believe how much you've accomplished since the pandemic started. Like you've literally just been cranking content. And I laughed to myself because if she only <laughs> saw how much I had just laid around, <laughs> like, literally laid around on my back, chilling. I just lay on my back with my dog, think about things. Well, then you get more done than okay. when you actually go and do work, when you finally rest. And that is something like, I think I'm slowly, slowly learning. It's just like when you feel like you can't stop, that you need to keep going, you need to stop. You need to go take a break. You need to go do something. But it's that like anxiety where it's like you feel like you need to keep going because if you don't, something will happen or. It's the cortisol. um, Like you get it. You you know, you it's your cortisol receptors in your brain are just like receptors anywhere. If you are blasting them all the time, they will downregulate. And so it takes more and more cortisol to get the brain to actually feel normal and okay. Right. Like the minute this pandemic mm-hmm. hit, I got a rush. I was like game on, like I'm good. I'm good in an emergency because I'm so addicted to cortisol. And so I've had to just mm-hmm. over the years, I joke <laughs> that I've been in like cortisol anonymous because I'm trying to back <laughs> away from, you know, and it, you're right. It's just that. And then that's what's happening with the whole world right now. The, the fear, the hit, they turn on the news so they can get the hit. And it's, yeah. it's about dopamine. It's about cortisol. And it's like that fear narrative is driving that addictive pattern. And there's just mm-hmm. no coming back from that, unfortunately, at this point. That's why there, I really see no point when people, everyday people message me and beg, beg me, like, please tell me what to tell my family. I mean, heartbreaking stuff. You guys, what I read this morning, like would just rip your heart out a whole family, whole families are not even small families are not getting together for the holidays and, um, like won't see their 95 year old grandpa, won't let him in the house, you know, just really Mm -hmm. some crazy stuff. And I mean, I get it. Cause that's, that's real to them. Like that's, that's why I'm not like that. This is real to them. Even if it is, seems unfounded to me, it's real to them. And that's what they believe. But like, they're just living in this place where there's no convincing that there's no talking that there's no conversation that will get that person to come back Mm -hmm. to reasoning. Right. It's yeah. 
It's just, they're there. They live in fear land. And I don't mean any disrespect by it. Cause when I call someone out on it, 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 it doesn't. Do you also mean though, like there's no sense to be in this state of fear because we could just all, you know, try to live as normal as we could. And if something did happen, that's just part of like the way the world is and like the way life is. That's how how I feel. And that's how my family feels like the most insubordinate people I've met during this whole thing have been the elderly. I have not met a single elderly person who was like, even remotely concerned. (laughs) They are the worst. (laughs) They, right. They like, they, from the beginning, they're like, I'm going to church. I'm seeing the grandkids. I don't care. I'm hugging (laughs) you. That is what's happening. And I'm like, okay. I might have something. Yeah. I don't know. It's all the young people who are like, I don't want to kill grandma. I don't want to kill grandma. I think it is, that's what I'm saying. It's up to each individual family and each individual to decide how they feel about this. I do feel that a lot of the fear is unfounded. I do feel that, um, and also the elderly folks, I've talked to all of them. I always ask them when they seem unafraid. I Because I live in a rural area with a bunch of old people. And when I see them out, they're like, you know, I always ask them and they just, they're not afraid. They're like, I'm this old. I don't want to die not seeing my family. I don't want to die not hugging my grandkids. I, I don't want to die alone, not having had any, you know, like, don't lock me up. Let me, you know, mm-hmm. if I die, I die. I'm going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I know that's what a lot of them are saying. Any, yeah, I know, I know that narrative too. It's, and if, if you do believe in like fate, then you would, you would think that, I don't know. I watch the Oregon Health Authority email every single day. Every single day I've opened it up since the pandemic started. And every single day, the deaths are like people in their 80s and 90s with the very, very, very rare occasional person that was in my age group or in their 50s. It's all super old people who were going to die anyway. And I'm not saying that out of disrespect because both of my parents are literally sitting ducks, like literally would not handle it well. And I have resigned myself and my daughter and I have talked about it that we very well could lose one of our you know, they're very, my daughter's very close with my parents that we might lose one of them this year. If not, who knows, you know, and we're not happy about that. Of course. I mean, I can't, I can't even exist without my mom. I can't imagine, like, I can't, like, can't, I, it like chokes me up to think about it, but she has a lot of stuff going on and it, it might hit her, but this is how we can, mm-hmm. what, what else are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, that's always my question. Yeah. When people come at me, I'm like, what are we going to do? Like, stay across. Because we can't exist like this, yeah, for years on years on years. Like, they can't escape it. It's already here. So, I mean, yeah, you can, like you were saying, you can, like, with try to, like, long it out and wait and wait. It's just, yeah, yeah it's, it's just, We're just yeah. prolonging the inevitable, I think, in many ways. And I don't say that lightly. I've been following a lot of different uh, researchers and doctors from all over the world. And many of them feel the same way. And then if you flip it and you look at like, well, if you let everyone out, it's going to be devastating. And I completely agree with that. I just don't understand why it can't be some degree of both. Why can't I, people want to call me an anti-mask girl all the time. And I'm like, that's so incorrect because why can't Mm -hmm. I believe in wearing a mask in enclosed spaces with other people out of respect and also believe that it's ridiculous that somebody's sitting on the at the bus stop with I no know. one around for I miles know. wearing a mask. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? Why can't I believe both to be true? And why <sighs> can't I believe that social distancing is necessary when we're talking about, you know, potentially putting somebody at risk and also believe that maybe people at risk should probably stay home to some degree or stop trying to be so yeah. social. Like how can we 
not to not to like put them in prison in their homes but how can we find yeah. some why can't we be talking about this why can't i believe that this is real and that people with obesity and compromised immune systems are at most risk and we should be having that conversation as well as mask, wash hands and social distance. Why can't I? Yeah. I mean, my sister actually has already had coronavirus twice. So she's in undergrad. I don't know if it's the same thing or, um, but I mean, I've just, I've seen the younger people like get it and like, they're, they're okay. They only have like loss of smell. Like that's basically what she had. And like, I'm not like a, I don't want the virus. I don't want to get sick. I'm doing everything I can to like, pump up my immune system, do all the things, but I'm not necessarily like afraid of getting it. If I do get it, it's just like the flu. Like I don't want it, but if I get it, I know that I'll, I'll probably be okay. Like that's what they're, that's what it's showing. And like for the people who are more at risk, it's like, yeah, I understand why you feel that way. Cause you're more at risk. Like I feel okay because I know that I'm, I'm like in the younger population. So like, I'm not as afraid of it. But there is the younger, the generations, the younger ones that are are afraid. I know a lot of my friends are actually afraid of, that aren't in this medical community that they are actually afraid of getting it. Uh, Yeah, I was just talking to my mom today about that. And she said, well, your daughter's not afraid. And I was like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, when? (laughs) (laughs) I taught her to question everything, you know, even just keep looking. She finally, we were having a conversation and she was trying to fight me on it because she lives in Portland and she's really bought into that narrative. And she was trying to fight me on it. And I was like, I'm going to keep telling this to you because this is the data. And finally her boyfriend goes, wait Mm -hmm. a minute. So if this is, this is, this is this, then this is what's, and I'm like, correct. You got it. And he looked at me and he was like, that doesn't add up at all with what we've been being told. Mm. And I was like, no. And then my daughter and he had a conversation and then she came back and she's like, you know, mom, I've been thinking about what you said and I understand it better because he explained it to me, you know, and probably words she could hear versus her mom because we do this because we're like two bullheaded sheep. And she heard it and she was like, oh, and she started questioning things and she started talking to her friends. They will not hear Mm -hmm. it. They, they literally think if they go outside and they touch anyone or they breathe anywhere, any air that's public, even outside, that they're going to kill their parents. Mm-hmm. It's like that severe. And there's just no coming back from that. That's what I'm worried about. Like there's no coming back from my, my, my dear, dear, dear assistant gave birth during all those fires a few months ago in the middle of all this. And like, she has a brand new baby that's going to grow up in a world that wears masks and is afraid of other humans, you know, and can't see smiles on people's faces. And I just, there's some, like, why can't we talk about, like, we can't even have the conversation to start problem solving Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Cause when I say to people who are really afraid, I'm like, well, what's your solution then? And they go, well, what's yours? And I'm like, I can't even begin to talk about it because nobody will even have that conversation with me because they just want to freak out. Yeah. It's like we can, we should have a world where we can wear the masks. We can help prevent the spread because we need to keep our hospitals like up and running. We can't overload our hospitals. Like that was like a huge point of the masks and to protect people who are at risk. So like, yes, we need to wear the mask and like do all the things, but we also need to have a plan for, you know, our future and getting over this, going back to a, a new normal, quote unquote. And um, yeah, but for everyone that may be listening and like we've already kind of talked about, you know, you need to be doing the, the basic things, eating, sleeping, like all of those things um, for like, how do we help people kind of like recover from burnout if they are already in that state of like 
cortisol overload and different things well, like well, that. It's hard because if they, if they bought into, well, here's the thing, isolation and fear and anger, just tank out your immune system and increase your inflammatory markers. So if you're fighting with your spouse all the mm-hmm. time, you're chronically immunocompromised and you're chronically inflamed. If you're isolated, let's just quad that right and like just a disclaimer i am not to your audience you and i all none of us are their doctors we're not telling them we're not giving medical mm-hmm. advices for educational purposes right. i'm not anyone's doctor anymore but being <laughs> but being in that chronically immunocompromised state and that chronic fear state just really does a lot of damage to your immune system and your inflammation making you way more susceptible to virtually anything that comes your way right anything um so that that in and of itself is like to me the root issue. There's like if they can't get past that, some people are very very afraid, you guys. And it, and that's I understand and I respect where they're coming from. But if they can't get past that, I I don't know. You know, there's nothing I can tell them that's going to make. And we can't talk about any supplements and we can't talk about any treatment prevention or cure because the FDA, FTC, and Department of Justice have made sure of that. And so what can we tell them to do? Which is just really like I would tell anybody walking into any winter, become more resilient, right? Mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I think, but see, I'm different. And maybe you guys are too. Information and the truth makes me feel better. Science is objective and it's a place where there's no emotion. And so I like it. I like that land. Mm -hmm. It's like candy land to me. I can go there and I find solace in the studies because it's information. And even if it's information I don't want to hear, it's still information that is soothing to my soul because I know more. And when I know more, I feel better and I feel less fear. And I don't think everyone's wired that way. So I don't really have a great answer for them. And I also think a lot of people like to be controlled and they like to be told what to do. And they just want a clear answer. And I think the worst thing in the world for the brain is not knowing. That's, I mean, literally the worst thing for the brain is not, is not, is having no certainty. Yeah. And here we are. I mean, and when that happens, your default, your natural human brain default is to go to the dark side. And so here we are in this place of chronic uncertainty. And so my wish is that we could figure out how to have a conversation with the experts and with everyone else and come to a place where we had some normalcy in the world, meaning businesses not being completely crushed and people's, because they're, I can't even imagine, I'm okay financially, but I could not imagine being in a place where I was just chronically worried that I wasn't going to have a paycheck. Yeah in a week or two, because I'm hearing from those people every day. They have no finances, husbands let been let go from work, they lost their job, and they're in dire straits. And so that just adds a, I've been in that kind of situation. That adds a whole new level where you can't sleep. You can't yeah. sleep, like you can't. And that hasn't even been talked about really. Like all of, and even now as we're approaching winter, like all of these businesses like in Chicago, New York are going to be closing all these restaurants and they're not even allowed to like yeah. have anyone come yeah. in. So, I mean, they're, they're like, I saw a Facebook post, like just pleading people just to come and order no. food for takeout. Yeah. Just please like come and support us because we are literally, they're probably not doing very well. So it's just heartbreaking. I for think that. it's going to be up to those of us who feel like we can venture out safely, you know, and I'm trying to infuse as much money as I can into the community around me. When I go down to the little town that I live in, I try to just dump as much money into it as I can, because I want to make sure <laughs> yeah. that there's a record store still there when I'm done and the coffee shop's still there when this is done. Like, I want yeah, to, you know, I, I'm just, I don't know how else to do it. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, 
you know, we can tell people all day, like, make sure you do this and this and this to optimize yourself. But really the root issue is like, where on the fear continuum mm -hmm. are you living and what can you do to mitigate that? And I, I do think knowledge is power. So I will continue to put out knowledge as best I can on Instagram. And I will continue to try to shine light where there is darkness. Um, I get, there's, I do think there is an uprising in the darkness right now, just energetically in the world. And I think it's trying to win and we cannot let it. So if you are a light bringer, it is time to bring the light. I, I really encourage all the healers to step up right now. And if you're afraid to speak out too bad, like we need you, you know, we need people, we need all the musicians doing live concerts from their home yeah. on their phones and broadcasting mm -hmm. it out to the world. Like we need the light bringers. We need artists making art. We need everybody who is capable of shedding light in darkness to do it right now. Like big Care Bear stare because we are walking into another very dark phase of this and now we've got cold weather on top of it, you know, and yeah, each other. we just, I think community is yeah. the answer. And how do we, how do we have some semblance of that? That's really, that to me is how we're going to get yeah. through this. I'm but. like constantly thinking about the implications of the pandemic on people's mental health. In the field, I mean, oh, yeah. it's already happening now. People are very lonely, very depressed. I'm just wondering how it's going to look, especially with children growing up in this. Yeah, the some of the ICU nurses I talked to have been telling me that the suicide attempts coming into the hospital are are just insane, are just over the top. Like, it's really, it's, everybody should get a dog. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I agree I, with that. I would not be alive if I did not always have a dog by my side. I, when my, uh, look at her, she just falls asleep yeah. sitting up. When I was, my, so my chihuahua of 10 years died abruptly last ju two Junes ago, two Junes ago. And that's when I knew something was coming. She died. I ended up getting Sansa. But in the interim, I didn't have a dog. And for two weeks, I didn't have a dog. And I've never in my life lived without an animal ever, ever. Like I've never not had an animal and I didn't have a dog. And my boyfriend at the time who, thank God we broke up soon after he, he said, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not done grieving. And I was like, this isn't about you. Like I need my dog. And he didn't get it. And I said, my dog's my medicine. Like that's my medicine. Like you mm -hmm. take your medicine every day. You take your pharmaceuticals for in your supplements for whatever ails you. I need my dog. I need a dog or a cat or yeah. something, right? Like yeah. I need an animal companion. And he didn't understand that he thought I was being whatever. And a lot of people don't understand that people who don't have animal companions, but I've never met anyone who got a dog or a cat and regretted it. They always said later that it made them a much better human, right? Like it just makes you a better human mm -hmm. and you can talk to it. <laughs> yeah. and, you can <laughs> and they know your emotions and they know when you're feeling sad or yeah. they come and come for yeah. you. Like, yeah. And they're yeah. soft. So you get oxytocin. <laughs> There's just a lot of upsides. I love this. <laughs> I love the science too. Yeah. Right. What is next for you, Dr. Tina? What's next for me? I am launched. So I just launched a membership portal for the public around, it's called Resiliency University. So just really helping people understand the science of what I'm digging up that I don't feel comfortable sharing online because I just, it, things are just too hostile right now. Um, so I'm sharing that in there and then I'm just sharing tips and tricks on how to become more resilient. My coach of many years, uh, Mira, Mira Gracia, she is going to be helping just give people exercises. It's, it's exciting. So I'm trying to build something. I'm trying to build a community. Like I just said, like, how can I help and how right. can I bring people together? And then, um, 
yeah, just I'm really moving more direct to public. I feel very strongly that this sounds so crazy because I never believed in God up until a few months ago, but I really, I feel strongly that like God put me where I am right now for a reason and gave me an audience for a reason. I didn't wake up with 30,000 followers for no reason. Right. So I'm trying really hard to help human beings. I think human beings are in trouble. And so I'm just going to keep on this path. And, um, it's like my warrior path. I, I don't know. How else to put it. It's not making me very popular with a lot of people, but I hope to just keep, doing what I'm doing. I know that if I do the right thing that I will have enough money to be happy and survive. So I'm just doing what I'm doing and having a few opportunities here and there throughout the year for coaching, like just little pop-up workshops. So for the students listening or the young doctors, like I'm still going to have little weekend events, little virtual things that we can do together so that low cost so people can attend and really get your marketing honed in so you can make the best of it during all of this. And that's Mm -hmm. about it. So and where can people find you online? Yeah, so I think Instagram's a great place, uh, Dr. Tina, D-R-T-Y-N-A. If you guys want my free book, it's the six pillars that I really believe need to be dialed in to just be, re- it's called pain-free and strong, but it's really applicable to anything and to really dial in your resiliency. And that's at drtina.com. We've got a whole new website coming. So that's something I'm working on. Some supplements are going to be coming out. So I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of, in that realm. And then if you go to drtina.com and grab my book, you get on my email list. And that's where I feel more free to talk about things that I want to talk about that I can't really talk about on social media without being in a perpetual and I'm on your email list and you you are a great writer like I know that oh, you, always, you. you always have great messages but your right your writings are like honestly amazing so yeah it's an email you won't forget that's for sure <laughs> honestly tidbits of the truth I know that it's not easily digestible but for everyone right away so I'm trying to just like tell a story slowly and yeah I I love it yeah stay in the course so I hope everybody will come along with me who like digs what I'm throwing down because we got to stick together yeah well thank you so much for joining us today and honestly this was a great talk so thank you so much yeah thank you so much for having me I I really appreciate it I hope you guys have a great day yeah you too too. thank you bye bye Like what we do is punk rock and rebellious and and it's terrain theory and it's all the things about resiliency. It's like, we're the underdogs for a reason. We didn't go into this profession because we thought it was going to be easy, you know? There's no safe route through this. So 